what cash flow is is I like to look at it like um, you have this big pile of money right here okay and when you when you need the money you you have to be able to go over to the pile and grab it to give it to somebody based on your terms it has nothing to do with profit it just has to do with sources of cash so hey everyone welcome back to the CN Mentors podcast where we bring on industry professionals to help cut your learning curve in half my co-host each week is Kyle Grandel. What's up, Kyle? Hey, man. Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for listening in. And this week's guest is Scott Peeper. What's going on, Scott? Hey, guys. How you guys doing? Good, man. Doing great. So, Scott... you let me come chat with you. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. So, Scott, for people who don't know who Scott is, he recently wrote this awesome book, The uh, Big Book of Cash Flow. And I got a copy, and I've been through it once, and... Um, it's really good stuff. So we want to bring Scott on and just kind of give you some tips and stuff of uh, way to perfect your cash flow. So Scott, for the people who don't know who you are, other than a, an awesome author, you want to give us a little bit of background on yourself? Well, don't rate me as an author. That was the first endeavor. <laughs> Fortunately, I stayed on topic. But um, I'm, I'm a dad with three daughters, a wife of 20 years. Um, just a regular dude. I'm trying to just like everybody get out there and find your place in the world. I started out in medical device sales and then fell back into construction where I first started with my dad just being a gopher boy. You know, I say, go for this, go for that. He'd put me with a crew and that's all I was, I was, you know, and um, sometimes it was just go for coffee, you know, or go, go get that hammer I left in the truck that's five floors down, three parking lots over, and, you know, you'll find it. And they weren't even, there wasn't even a hammer there. They were, they were just messing yeah. with me. But, uh, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> but I went, but I went and got it anyway. But um, I spent a lot of time in and around construction sites when I was growing up, in and out of, um, in and out of college, whenever I'd come home. My dad was a commercial glazer, glass and aluminum company he had. Small, small, he got to be a pretty decent sized business. You know, he grew it from nothing up to a 10, $12 million business before he retired over a 20 year period. And I spent a lot of time around that. But uh, in med device sales, I would spend just time learning, selling, being in different leadership positions. And then ultimately, a friend of mine called me one day with this idea coming out of the downturn. So, giving ideas like 2013, said, Hey, I got this great idea. We're going to, um, your dad and you spent time in construction. You understand that. So here's our idea. Like there's a ton of work going on right now and there's a lot of opportunity to that contractors have, but they don't have any capital and coming out of the downturn balance sheets are impaired, but the people that made it, they didn't go out of business. They're the best of the best. So we're going to make loans to them so they can do their projects. And I was like, dude, you're insane. That is like the dumbest idea I ever heard in my life. But I, through just the fear of loss or missed opportunity, I said, sure, let's do it. And we started making loans and it one worked and one didn't and one another one worked, another one didn't. But long story short, over the last 10 years, I've spent my life in mobilization funding, working every single day to try to find a way to help finance commercial subcontractors primarily or general contractors that are self-performing. And over the course of that process, I learned a lot more about construction being in the middle and caring about what's going on on the project and the dynamics between subcontractors and general contractors. Some of which I learned was that the things I thought I knew aren't accurate at all. And some of the things I learned are, you know, everybody's really in alignment. They just don't know it. And so through that process, cash flow became such a big and important thing to us trying to figure out how to help folks 
actually finance their project. And in order to be able to do that, we felt like we needed to know what it, what it was. So we kept asking and we'd ask, okay, where's your cash flow? What's this? And nobody really had a cash flow. And what I learned was two things that contractors are very, very good at. They have a process for doing their bids, regardless of what it is. Sometimes somebody can just like see it and they can come up with a price, depending on the size of the project, of course. And other times it's a very sophisticated way that they put it together. The second thing is they know what schedule they're supposed to construct that project in and how long it's going to take them. But what they don't know is how much of that cash that they're bidding in the bid, do they actually have to invest onto that project and at what frequency and how much overall is that investment prior to them getting money off the job? And how are they going to finance those gaps if there are gaps? They sort of just go and whatever is in the bank they use and they figure it out and some will try to build a cash flow but it's very difficult so what we did is we built this cash flow model for us to try to figure out how to underwrite a loan or for us to figure out how to help finance it and we built this this project cash flow tool that we quickly realized when we turned it around and gave it to customers and said hey this project doesn't work or you need to do this or this they were like amazed and not amazed that like we're some geniuses but they were amazed at the information of what they thought they were going to have to do compared to what's actually happening but what then the coolest thing happened is they're able to quickly and efficiently fix those problems when the information is given to them way better than even i've ever saw in a boardroom at a high-end medical device company like here's the problems clear as day right there in front of us how do we fix them and they're like, this is easy, no problem. Give me give me two days, I'll come right back to you. And they're like, bam, 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 called that. When they come back, it's all fixed. And we're like, what'd you do? Well, I got my I got on the phone with my four suppliers. I fixed this, this, and this. I got my terms to be different. I negotiated a better price over there. This tool was great. I didn't realize I was going to have to spend 50% of this contract before I saw any money or I was cash flow positive. And they fixed it. And I was like, this is amazing. So we started giving this out. And I'm like, this is incredible. They're actually, when empowered, unlike other what I would call the you think are like these super more sophisticated boardrooms who could not come up with solutions here contractors are knocking out this stuff and that's before you even get into like true field engineering or fixing problems on the site I mean stuff that's going to last hundreds of years so I just I've ventured out to write this book on cash flow because we had it's something I talk about every single day I'm like I just need to capture this and put it in a book that's simple easy gives resources, answers the simple questions that people are either afraid to ask or intimidated to ask, but I know everyone asks because they ask us when they're comfortable. And that way, so you can use it as a quick hitting resource, but more importantly, it's tactical as well. Okay, I got great. Now that you defined all these things and I don't know what to do, what do I do? And in there, it gives you the tools to use, how to use them. And so that's what I want to do. Put something simple together that was one place that was easy to use and just sort of stand the test of time not get into some fancy words and all that crap, but just easy, simple. How do I do it? And here's what I can do next. That's what I set out to do. And I, well, go ahead. Yeah. So Scott, I, I, I'm really glad to have you on here because as a business owner, cash flow is something that's always a main thing on my mind. So I was, I was excited about this. And, um, also as a business owner and somebody who's in construction, um, I've also had my own experience and kind of gone through that, that financing, um, cycle and kind of the you know what happens to us as contractors and it's tough it's really tough and so i'd love to hear from you a little bit about what you've seen for why it's tough and kind of some of the things that that help make that easier for contractors yeah 
Well, the first thing I think makes it tough is it's not in anyone else's control. It, you know, nobody's doing anything stupid or dumb. I mean, some people do dumb and stupid things, but they do that in every business and industry. And that's just part of learning. But the construction industry, and I said this to another friend of mine, and, and um, I'll use the same example, but the construction industry has a cash flow cycle that is so unique and so unlike any other industry that if you were to take this cash flow cycle and put it on top of any other industry, not just business, I'm just talking industry, the industry wouldn't exist or, or would never sustain itself. And I'll give you a perfect example. I'm sure most people know construction here on this podcast and listening, but if you know everybody invoice you do all the work for a month you invoice at the end of the month you wait 30 or 45 days to get paid right that let's just give that as an example sometimes it's a little better sometimes a little worse but for the most part that's 60 to 75 days before a nickel comes off the project if you were in a restaurant business so the three of us start up a restaurant and it was even a moderate one with you know maybe 20 tables and we had like 10 10 items on the menu and we were moderately busy throughout the throughout the month we ordered all our food. We got 30 day terms on it. We then had everyone come through and sit and eat. And at the end of the month, we took all 30 days worth of people and we invoiced them. And then they had 30 and 45 days to pay us. We would, I can't, I would challenge you to tell me how long we would be in business in that restaurant. And as ridiculous as that sounds and as funny as it is and how absurd it is, that's exactly what happens in the construction business verbatim. You'd burn out though, because you'd have a line out the door if people were if you were waiting to get paid for forty days. Yeah. So I mean, like, first and foremost, like, you got to give yourself some grace because what what you're operating in 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 that cash flow scenario is very difficult to accomplish. And the mere fact that people are accomplishing it and buildings get built, roads are done, all the stuff that construction does, which I'm very passionate about, and talking like it touches every single human being on the earth. Construction touches where we sit, where we go, how we got there, what we did when we got there, it's all been touched by construction. One of the few industries that can actually say that. And then on top of that, you're also not in this little tiny industry dealing with like nickels and pennies, man. Like these projects are tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions. I mean, there's a lot of zeros and a lot of commas in these, which only magnifies the the drama and the and the, and the fixation around it. And then last but not least, it's the industry that the banks, which is the financial capital source for most businesses, it's the industry that least people least want to finance. Yeah. So you have limited capital, a tremendously difficult cash flow cycle, and big numbers. And then that's before we get into the fact that it has a lot of employees, a lot of overhead. It's not an easy financial business. I mean, our business is easy. We collect revenue from either interest income or fees. And then we have some expenses. The construction industry has material, inventory, hundreds <laughs> of employees, dozens of employees, temporary employees, subcontract labor, 50 different vendors, estimators, project vendors. I mean, there's just a lot. It's a complicated business. So that that's the first thing that I would say is you got to give yourself some grace and understand that you're, you know, you're, you're playing in an arena that is extremely difficult. Now, that said, the difficult nature of that brings a tremendous amount of opportunity. For those that understand it, you can really navigate those waters and create some amazing, amazing opportunities for yourself, both no matter what side you're on, subcontractor, project manager, it, it, it doesn't matter. And so 
that's the most important thing that really drives at it. When cash flow comes about, you, you have to know what your, you know, what cash flow is for the most part. It isn't bids. Everybody's worried about bids and everybody's worried about estimates and everybody's worried about what margin they're going to make or, or markup, right? And that's a whole nother conversation. But if you could do all of your work today in, and finish it tomorrow and invoice it, sure, your bid is a great tool. I mean, it'll tell you how much you're going to make and you're good. But that's not how it works, man. That money, you don't earn that profit until you finish all the work and you've been paid. So you have to know how much of that profit you're actually earning along the way. And you, you need to know how much of the bid cost you're actually investing into that job. And so it, I like to use an example. If you have a million dollar job and $800,000 of cost, what it really boils down to is how much of that $800,000 do I have to invest in this job before I break even or before it pays it, before this job is paying for itself? Because some projects, depending on whether you have supplier, if your supplier let you pay them when you're paid, okay, great. Maybe you only need to invest 200 grand enough to float your labor until you get some money working off. If your supplier has 30 day terms and you're ordering your material before you even start just to get it there, or you're ordering at the first of the month, the first week of the month, you might need to invest four, five, six hundred thousand dollars in that job before you're actually breaking even on it. And so mm -hmm. it's important to know those type of things. And that's what cash flow is. That's what cash flow tells you. Yep. And, and Matt, Matt, I know you want to go, but just really quick, just to back up what Scott said, in my own discussions with lenders, I mean, he's spot on for anybody listening. I mean, it, it, I've had the same discussions. They're they're simply confused looking at my, my bank statements about my cash flow and how do I have money and when do I have money and why don't, why isn't there money at times and why is there money? It's because it's cyclical, first of all. And it's also, I mean, more or less unpredictable unless you have a really somehow really steady line of work. Because every project is a little bit different with the terms and the payments and different clients respond differently and force different contracts on you. So it's not like you can just say, yeah, every project is simply, you know, maybe a net 30 or net 60 or net 90. And so I know I'll be paid on the 32nd day. Well, no, after the net 30 is done, day 31, now I can start asking, why didn't I get paid on time? <laughs> and then you do that with four or five clients and you can imagine the mess you have on your hands. So That's just right. for anybody listening, what Scott's talking about, it's, it's, the, it's the real world we play in there. That's the arena. Yep. Well, you want to hear the next piece that's even tougher is we didn't even touch on retainage, which everyone's like, oh, oh they're yeah. holding back 10%. We got to have retainage because, you know, they're never going to come back. Okay, cool. Let's just give it, let's just say that's true for, for the time being. But let's talk about how that retainage impacts cash flow. So take a simple project where you have a 20% margin, okay, which is great. Let's say it's great. Depending on the field, some have 20, some have more, some have less. But let's just say it's 20 for round numbers. If retainage is 10% of the gross contract amount, that's not 10% of your profit. That's 50% of your profit. So if, if you do any work and someone holds 50% of your profit back, that makes all that stuff we just yeah. described before even more difficult. So that same restaurant scenario, yeah. so that when people did pay us, they held 50% of our profit back, which means we have to operate on 50% less free cash flow, just if we're only talking about profit alone, it's really, really, really difficult to, to contemplate that. And so that makes it difficult too. That could even be a higher percentage than 50% in a lot of cases. 
Absolutely. That's if you have a 20% margin. Yeah. I mean, so if you're bidding the prime, if you're a contractor, I and mean, we talk with so things, if you're bidding thin just to get mm -hmm. work and it's less than 20%, for example, let's say it's 17 and you get 10% retained. So now you're trying to operate this project with basically 7% free cash flow and you're working along on the project and you have an overhead allocation to your projects of, of let's say 7%, just to make sure, meaning what are your expenses that are fixed? Your in-house labor, your debt service, equipment, let's say these are like the equipment you pay for, all those little things that are just your fixed expenses. Let's say they're 7% of your overall spend in your company. You now have 0% cash flow on that project, zero. Zero. That means you, you cannot take a nickel off that job to do anything other than exactly what you have. And that also means that that's if the project goes perfectly smooth, yeah. no problems, no issues, no delays. And so those are the type of things that um, cash flow will show you and, and where to where to play. You know, and, and that's what I was talking about with it, where everyone's very resilient. When we offer that information out using that project cash flow tool, which we created and is on our website and anyone can download it and use it 100% for free. I should I certainly talk about it in the book, but we've had that project cash flow tool on our website. Anyone can use it. It's set up there whether you work on a master service agreement, a work order, a purchase order, a contract any terms you load it we create the spreadsheet we send it to you we don't market to it or nothing it's a totally free tool so that's there it's always been there before even the book but that tool then can give that those those folks to take okay you know what i can't invest five hundred thousand of this eight hundred thousand this project but i can 200 so they'll go to their suppliers ahead of time and say hey look i'm about to spend three hundred fifty thousand dollars on equipment or material or whatever and i need I want to spend it with you if you're if you're a plumber, you know. I want to spend it with you, Ferguson's, and and you know I can't. Well, I need 45 day terms in order to make this work. Well, I can't. And so you go to someone else and say, Hey, look, I want to buy 350 thousand dollars for this project, and they'll say, Well, I'll give you 60 day terms. Okay, perfect. Boom, you're done. You can do it. But you, it's really difficult to do that when you order all the material and you sign up for 30 day terms, and now you're 15, 20, 30 days late you don't have the same flexibility or juice to be able to negotiate. But in the beginning, your suppliers, they want they want a $350,000 order from you, and they're happy to do it if you're building a school project. And if you don't ask for 60-day terms up front, then you don't get them. But if you go to them up front and do it, they're, they're competing for the $350,000 at that point, not the terms, you know what I'm saying? And so that's the kind of information that it gives you and the kind of tools. And all of a sudden, you now have a that 17% margin project where they're holding back 10%. You can now you now only have to invest 200,000 into it instead of you know five or 600 because you got your you got your material paid when paid. You know you, you mm -hmm. can now float that using your supplier terms. You don't then borrow from money from someone else or from a bad source. So kind of taking a step back just a little bit. <clears throat> I mean, one of the first companies I worked for, I, I saw firsthand how growing too fast basically they they burned out just cash flow yeah. became a problem and they were it was a, just a, a cycle of they couldn't they were funding the next project based on this one and just and then eventually just the whole thing imploded but so not quite explain like i'm five but explain like i'm 23 year old matt like what is cash flow in like because I feel like maybe some of those entry level people, and this is we're making this podcast is really trying to be a resource kind of for the next generation. Mm -hmm. Maybe some people coming out of school who don't 
we talked about this last time we talked, Scott, like what is a submittal and what is an RFI? And I don't even know what these things are. So cash flow a lot of times is only talked about maybe in an executive level or even, you know, something like that. Or maybe the project managers with the assistant project managers may not fully understand it or understand what they're doing day to day, how that really impacts the cash flow of the business. Um, so can you give us a, like a real sort of explain, like I'm 23, fresh out of school, don't know what I'm doing example of what yeah. cash flow is and kind of maybe something that I could do in that situation to help my company's cash flow. Absolutely. I'll give my best attempt. Um, all right. So two things, first cash flow and profit are two different things. Okay. Profit is the best way I can explain that is you do all the way it looks on a bid sheet. And if you could do all your work in one day and invoice it the next day, be paid the next day, your bid sheet and your cash flow will look exactly the same. Okay. But that doesn't happen. So what you have to do is take the on a bid sheet, and I'll use the same example. It's a million dollar job and eight hundred thousand dollars. Well, you have to put time in there and figure out how much time is it going to take me to do this? Am I doing this over a four week period? Well, if you're going to spend $800,000 over a four week period, how fast are you going to invoice the million? If you're going to do a project over a 14 or 40 week period, okay, well then that 800,000 is going to get spread out over a longer period of time. What cash flow is, is I like to look at it like, um, you have this big pile of money right here. Okay, and when you when you need the money, you, you have to be able to go over to the pile and grab it to give it to somebody based on your terms. It has nothing to do with profit. It just has to do with sources of cash. So in this example, you have a pile of money. In another example, you might have a line of credit that you can use. You might have um, a, a credit with your supplier, but you need cash. So if you have this pile of cash or a way to create the pile of cash, you always have enough on the pile when you need to pay something and you're always putting more on the pile than you, than you, when you have none. And so if you might've, people may have heard the phrase sources and uses. So you want to think about the sources that are going to create cash on the pile. That's your customers paying you. That might be cash you put into the business. That might be um, a line of credit you have with the bank or other or other source, but that's a source to put money in the business. And that pile typically is the money in your checking account. Okay, so that's that. Think of it like that. And then the use of those dollars is how much am I? Do I have enough every week to make payroll? Okay, well, if twenty thousand dollars a week is my payroll, then I need to make sure that pile always has twenty thousand dollars a week in it when they go to take payroll out. If I have a material supplier bill due in two weeks, that's $50,000. I need to make sure in two weeks, this pile has $50,000 on it, right? And so what cash flow is, is the source, where are the sources of your cash coming in and where are the uses of your cash going out to? And they don't have anything to do with profit from a pure cash flow perspective. And I'll give you an example. If you are a pre-revenue company and you go out and raise a bunch of money because you're going to create the next best, you know, pen, widget, right? You might have spent, you might spend millions of dollars and have 15, 20 employees or take Tesla, for example. People always said Tesla wasn't profitable for the first 10 years, but yet they were making cars and everybody was using them. How are they not? You certainly were paying more for the car than it cost, right? 
Well, if that's the case, that's the difference between cash flow and profit. So you have to have enough access to cash, i.e. the pile of money, to pay for things that you need to pay for based on the terms. And profit is once you, if you if everything was a boomerang, right, and you put you loaded up the costs on the boomerang and you kind of slung it out there and it went out and dropped all the money off somewhere else and then it came back to you with nothing and then you slung it out there again and it picked all the money up plus your profit and brought it back to you heavier, that would be the difference between profit and cash flow. But each time you threw the boomerang around, it doesn't necessarily have to have profit on it. It just needs to come back with money on it and you need to have enough money in the pile to use it. And so that's where you hear the terms like, when do I break even or what's my burn rate? But does that help explain it kind of in the most simplistic way? I think so. I think that was better than I could have done. I like the pile of money analogy where you've got the money, yeah. trying to make sure you got enough money to keep paying when the bills are coming due. That's right. And I'll, I'll tell you where this shows up in a construction business. You, you're growing and you're doing it profitably. You're invoicing your customer and they're approving your invoices. And you know you have profit in there. But yet you're sitting there wondering how you're going to make payroll this week. You're sitting there, you've grown from a million dollar business to a, from a $500,000 business to a million to $2 million business to $5 million business, but yet you still have never taken a distribution out of your company. You still have, you still feel like you're struggling every time you go into the bank account and managing cash. That is the difference between cash flow and profit right there. So your paper profit. And what's in what you feel in your book in your bank account is two totally different things, and that's the main difference. That's where it shows up in the business where you're like, I've grown and grown and grown, and my customers are paying me, they're not paying me fast enough. And then you say, you know what? If they would just pay me my retainage, if I got all my retainage right now, I'd be flush. Like that's the difference between cash flow and profit. That right there in a construction business. If those are the pieces. Retainage is such a funny thing because it feels like, I mean, I've seen it, you know, being come from the subcontractor world as I feel like your whole profit is tied up as a prize at the end of the rainbow. <laughs> you know, you got to yeah. wait for everything to close out, especially if you're one of the major subs, right? If you're a civil guy, you got in, you got out a long time ago and you can maybe get your retention early. But if you're a main MEP sub, for instance, you're there till the bitter end. And if the general contractor can't close his project out, you a lot of times you won't get your retainage released, whether you're good or bad or whatever. So you're riding That's on those right. coattails of the general contractor to be able to get your profit prize at the end of the rainbow. So it's a it's amazing. Anybody wants to go into business to do that. <laughs> yeah. And you can't finance your retainage either because nobody wants to finance it because it's so unpredictable. It's crazy. So if you're a, you know, maybe entry-ish level, maybe a project engineer, or really, uh, maybe even project manager, you probably have a little bit more because if, especially on the subcontractor side, if you're the ones doing your pay applications and those sort of things to the general contractor, you got any tips to help with the cash flow situation within your company? Yeah. So first, you have to know your numbers, the stuff we're talking about. You, you got to be informed with it because you know a lot more than you know a lot more than you'd think you know. And more importantly, you know how to solve the problems. You just, if you, if you don't know what the problem is or what it looks like, it's a, you're, it's impossible to try to solve. So the first thing is you gotta know your numbers and control what you can control. You can absolutely control what the cash flow of your project's gonna be in terms of what it looks like based on how you wanna go execute it. You might not be able to get your customer to pay you faster. You might not be able to get better terms from your supplier. You might not be able to get your employees to wait for a month before you write them a check. 
but you want to know you can control the information of what it looks like. What you don't want to do is go into a job thinking you have enough money and you're not even close. That is devastating because now you're under fire and under pressure and you just don't have a lot of options. So first and foremost, control what you can control. And that is understand what the cash flow of that project is prior to you starting it. That's first so that you can you can influence and you can make the changes that you know that you um, that you can impact, which maybe it's material supplier terms or maybe you realize, you know what, this is not a job that I can do with my direct labor. I need to sub labor this because I can get I can get better terms with my sub labor. I can do them. I can pay them when paid. Right. Versus my direct labor, I'm going to have to pay. So those are the kind of decisions you can make. That's first. The second thing I think you need to do is. Um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, we talked about estimating, bidding, executing the project. Oh, if you're going to get financing or you're going to try to put debt into your business to execute the project, know what that debt service cost is going to be before you just go borrow money and just try to create a pile. Because what happens is sometimes if you're taking money out of your own bank account and making the pile bigger, that's fine. You're investing in your own business. That's not There's not a cost to that other than the cost, the opportunity cost that you might have and what you would have otherwise invested in. But if you borrow money to create that pile bigger and it and then that 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 fact you borrowed it is also going to need to draw from the pile on some kind of basis mm -hmm. and you don't factor that into the equation, you can be you can make it way worse. You can make yourself feel good for today. And instead of this problem being here two weeks from now, a month from now, now the problem's up here and you're actually, you know, now it's choking you out. And so that's another key thing that you want to understand. Um, those are the real two things I would I would say I'd figure that out from a cash flow perspective. Yeah, I think I mean companies go to business for a bunch of reasons, but I've seen some really successful. They seem successful from the outside looking in. Companies go out of business purely because they could not manage their cash flow and they got upside down. And I, you know, you don't really know what happened, but it could have been their debt. They couldn't essentially pay their interest or something. You never really know, and they eventually just throw their hands yeah. up and walk away. It's kind of sad. The, the other hard thing too into that and, and, and where that falls into play is you want to know what your, your costs are internally too. A lot of people are focused. I see a lot of contracts focus on what they need to bid in order to win the work. And obviously that's a key component because if you're overbidding everything and you never get a job, okay. But what's important is you still have to do the project. You have to bid it at what you can do it for, not what your competitors can do it for. So like if the four of us were competing for a job, we're all civil engineers. Well, Matt, if you own all of your equipment because it was gifted to you and you have no cost of your equipment whatsoever other than service and maintenance. Mm -hmm. But Kyle and I both have to either rent our equipment or I bought all mine and I have debt service on it. You might be able to do the work at 15% margin, right? But if, but if Kyle or I did it at that same 15%, we'd be out of business or we'd be underwater because I have to pay for my debt service on my equipment and Kyle has to rent it, okay? And so if we're constantly bidding against each other and you're always winning, it doesn't mean Kyle and I should drop our price to 15% because then we're just gonna go out of business. So you have to know what your, there's differences in what the costs are. And you also, Matt, you might just be bidding the work wrong and you might be the one going out of business, right? You, we might, you might actually have the same, but you might just be going out of business soon. It just hasn't hit yet. So mm -hmm. you, you want to bid what you can do the work at 
regardless of what that cost is. And look, if you don't win any jobs, then you have a different problem. And that problem means you just have too much cost in your business. You're not efficient enough. You're not doing the work quick enough, efficient enough to be able to execute it. And so you got to find out where you can make those adjustments or find ways to be more efficient, find ways to be more profitable or to do that work. But under no circumstances should you be doing that work, taking on that risk at a loss. That's just a terribly flawed strategy that you're never going to be successful with. So that's the other big differentiating point that I think you got to really work on. And that's how you can keep yourself safe for the most part. Yeah. Hey, Scott, I've heard you mentioned a few times talking about profit and margin. Um, And I just know personally from my own experience that the words profit, margin, markup, they can be confusing. And sometimes we can confuse which ones are which and what they mean. Can you kind of help the listeners out understanding what what those are or maybe some other ones if you have better better yeah. not, not, to, not to jump into definitions too much but i just figured it'd be helpful no, i think it's great so let's take markup for example and i do the whole chapter on this book and in the book about it but um i used to hear a lot early on you know what yeah i got 20 percent. I'm, I'm gonna make 20 percent of this part i marked up, i got 10 percent markup in my labor and material for profit and i got 10 percent markup in my labor and material for overhead okay cool great well, let's just take an $800,000 job that you mark up 20%. So 20% of 800,000 is 160,000, right? So it's a $960,000 bid. Well, then you also take that same job and you is your margin 20%? No, because your bid is 960,000, your costs are 800. You're making $160,000 on a $800,000 on a $960,000 job. So hundred so hundred and sixty thousand dollars on nine sixty is like sixteen percent, not twenty. So if you if you get ten percent retainage now held off of your hundred and sixty or your nine hundred and sixty thousand dollar job, that's ninety six grand. One sixty minus your retainage nine sixty, you're now operating with free cash flow of let me do the math real quick. One sixty is a hundred. Um, is 60, it's 64 grand is what your operating free cash flow is in that example. So you're, you're tough. So if you're, your 10% overhead allocation that you put on the project responsibly and you know, you did a good job doing, well, 10% of nine, of 960,000 is 96 grand. You only have 64. So you can't even cover your overhead now. So the difference between margin and markup is you have to start at what your, the price is and then work backwards. So a 20% margin actually would be a million dollars on 800,000. So you need to take 800,000 and divide uh, 20% or divide that in 80% so you know what that is and create the other 20. That's the biggest difference. Margin is the actual price you give minus all of your costs and that delta is your margin. Markup is your costs plus just marking it up and you can see how they're not the same even though you think it makes perfect sense that way it's not 10 percent profit in a million dollar job and 10 percent profit in or 10 percent overhead in a million dollar job is 200 grand marking up eight taking 800,000 of cost cost and marking it up 10 and 10 doesn't get you to a million dollars and so that's that's really critical because you do that more than a few times that's three or four percent on every job and you're thinking you're making 20 and you're not, you're in, you're, you're in trouble. So that's, that's the main difference between markup and margin. Profit is what you actually get paid. 
that you're realizing. You know, you you actually did spend a hundred. When you go back and look at that project in completion, you've been paid all of your money and you've also paid all the bills. Your profit at that point you can calculate. You actually did spend eight hundred thousand. You actually were paid a million. My profit on that job was two hundred grand. You can't really figure that out till the end. Yeah, and and for anybody listening, I mean, I, for me, those are important words to think about and really understand because, like, when I'm putting together my bids and my jobs, I'm always thinking about what's that markup and what's that margin and what's the profit going to be because my it directly affects affects the rates and and for how I can actually go into this project and hope to actually make a little bit of money and be able to you know get another project. Um, so it's really key principle to understand for anybody listening. Yeah. I think a lot of subcontractors too <clears throat> that start out, you know, a lot of times I think a subcontractor is a guy that came from the trades, right? He's tired of working for the man. He's a really great plumber. He's like, I'm going to go into business for myself. I'm going to become a plumber or open up a plumbing subcontractor company. And that dude has no financial literacy at all, really, right? He's a tri he's a plumber by trade and he may know how to use QuickBooks and he's trying to do it. But I would really recommend, I mean, honestly, like this isn't, I'm glad Scott's on here, but like, I would recommend this book so much for anybody like that because it, he breaks all that down. Like Scott, you were rambling off those numbers a minute ago and it was going over my head just because you were going so fast. But I say all that to say, like, that's all illustrated here in the book with lines and chat charts and all kinds of stuff. And if you need a picture to do it for you, all the pictures are right here. So anyway, I, I couldn't recommend this book enough for like really anybody who's maybe starting a, a business and really trying to understand cash flow. Cause what I've seen a lot of times is guys are making a bid, right? They're saying again, like I'm going to, it's going to take me a hundred hours and my rates hundred dollars an hour. So whatever that is, right. There's $10,000. My math doesn't work that fast. Right. So that's my bid, mm -hmm. right. Or they may say plus 10% profit and they do that. And then they just, they don't understand cash flow and they don't understand we'll have to go buy this material, we'll have to go buy this stuff. And they're just hoping and praying they're going to have money in the bank when the bill comes due because they're not thinking ahead like that. And then what's profit? Profit is just a prayer that I have money left in my pocket at the end of the day. That's all profit is. And right. so if, if you don't have a plan going into it, man, you're just asking for failure. Yeah. And, but, and you can't, um, you don't want to hope and pray you have enough at the end. You know what I mean? You should definitely hope and pray, but you should execute too, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's just sad because if you knew, again, like I said, when I went, when empowered and having the information, I see, I see contractors make all the right decisions. As a matter of fact, they're, they're able to execute, not only see the decisions, but then execute those far better than I've seen in other industries. It's just, if you don't know what, if you don't know it or you don't have it in front of you, you're not. And you made a great point. Um, there's a great book called The E-Myth Revisited, and it talks about exactly what you said. It's about a technician, the entrepreneurial, the E-Myth stands for the entrepreneurial myth, right? So you have, a, there's three things that we are all, but you can't be all three. You're either one of the three or maybe two. And the first is an entrepreneur. You have that big vision. I can go out there. I'm going to go out on my own. You know, that's the part that gives you the impetus to jump. The, uh, the uh, technician is the plumber, right? They're a trade. That's, they know what to do. They technically like and understand what they're doing. And then the financial side is the third side. You need all three in a business, but you can't be individually all three. And so in the trades, you're typically going to see somebody as an entrepreneur and a technician because they started as a technician. They work, started working for somebody that was a real pain in the ass or terrible, and they left and they jumped on their own. So I'm just going to do it on my own. So now they're an entrepreneur. So they got both covered, but they never pick up the finance side, like you said. 
The construction businesses that have the financial talent inside and actually understand that and appreciate it and adopt it early, I'm telling you right now, they crush it and they do so mm -hmm. well and they use money so well and they navigate through all this turmoil that we laid out that sounded terrible up front. They're like ninjas moving through that and they scoop up all the opportunity from that turmoil and they do amazing, amazing things. Those folks are the ones that get it. And the only separator is they have the financial component from somewhere, either talent in the business, they hire the right accountant, they bring somebody in, and then they're given that information. And then the entrepreneurial side of them and the technician side of them crushes it because they know what decisions to make. It's not a super complicated concept if somebody kind of lays it out for or if you're behind it, right? I mean, it's probably way more complicated knowing how to build a building, right? but then they can't get their finances worked out. It's kind of a way funny more. concept. <laughs> and, I, and I think the other thing too that makes a big difference is you, you don't, be, um, don't be scared to say like, hey, I don't know that. Let me ask this question or, or have an ability to perform. Like I would love to see more subcontractors go into their general contractor with a more of an abundance mentality and say, you know what, like I'm going to crush this project for you. I'm a performer. I know how to perform, but this is what I need in order to be able to do that. Don't go in with more of a scarcity mentality where you're, you're afraid that you're going to look stupid or you're afraid that you're not going to get the next job or that if you ask for what you need to accomplish something that's within bounds and reason that you might get bullied or tempered, that's going to hurt you. That, that scarcity mentality is actually what makes folks more nervous than it would be to more pour into them. And so I think that's really critical to know that performance on any job is the most important thing. That's what everyone cares about the most. That's what you care about as a subcontractor. It's what the GC cares about. It's what the owner cares about. It's what the bank cares about. Everybody wants to see performance. So if you go out there and knock that job out and perform it, and you're very clear on what you need in order to do that. And you know you've bid it properly so that you in your business can perform that job. You can crush it. And then you're not going to be talking about price all the time. You'll be talking about performance. And you can get the terms you need and you can get the price you need. And you can do it at a better value for everyone because you want to make yourself in that position where, you know, if I go to Matt with a job, or he, Matt gets a job from Kyle, he's thinking to himself, I need Scott no matter what on this. He's the best plumbing tradesman I know. Like, I'm scared to do a job without Scott. So one thing, I, I think it's in the book, but I, I can't remember if it's in the book or if it was in an interview I saw you do. You were talking about, you know, companies that are growing. They don't have their, they don't really understand their financial projections and how they grow. They may double in size from a $10 million to $20 million revenue company. And they made less money at the end of the day. You know, they have yeah. less profit in their pocket. Can you tell that story? Yeah. So gro growth, is, like financing growth is a whole nother ball game because, um, and sometimes you're financing growth, but you're not even growing because how often in construction do you have your whip perfectly timed out, right? And it's all going to be, one's going to start in quarter one, one's going to start two months later, two months after that. Next thing you know, they all start at the same time. Well, mm -hmm. You may not be growing from a revenue perspective from one year over the next in that case, but you certainly are in June when all three projects start in June. You have to manage that much differently than as if you had them perfectly timed out from January to June, right? And so growth cash flow is totally different ballgame to understand because, again, we'll go back to that pile analogy. If you have one project that you're trying to manage with this pile of cash, it is what it is. If you have two projects, 
that you're trying to manage with this pile of cash, in theory, twice as diff difficult. If you have three, three times difficult and so on. So what you want to do is basically, if you grow too fast, it takes time for all the reasons we've all talked about to realize some of that profit, to realize some of that positive cash flow. What basically, what does that mean? It's a fancy way of saying, make sure your pile's big enough to take on the next level of work that you're doing, i.e. growing from 1 million to 2 million, 2 million to 4 million, et cetera. And so when you're financing growth, sometimes that's where good, that's where debt can really help you. Because if you're borrowing money to help you fuel growth and you're borrowing the money in a congruent manner that helps you grow. And what I mean by that is if you borrow money and you have to pay it back every single day starting tomorrow, but you're only paid once a month, that's probably a bad way to borrow from, right? But if you can borrow money, use that in that pile when you need it. And then when you're paid, money's coming back into the pile, you can also pay your debt service at the same time. That's a whole different ballgame. And so creating growth means if you have, if you can sustain, if your business is sustaining really well, managing one or two projects at a time, and you're having to turn down work that you know you could do, that third or fourth project, what that's the project that pulls so much cash out of your business that all of a sudden now you have three or four really profitable projects on paper, but you are broke and you are like suffering and you don't know where your money's from because you've depleted the pile. So what we talk about and where we actually help a lot in our um, funding business and mobilization funding is when you're doing those one or two projects and your pile's good enough and you're, you're comfortable and you're sleeping at night, but you take on this third or fourth project, being able to finance this project over here outside of having to use this pile of cash will allow you to grow without feeling that pressure. The pressure comes from this pile being here. There's no pressure in your world when you have enough cash here. That's the difference. And so if you can take, instead of this project here, this last one going over here and being pressure point on this, you can actually finance it outside of your normal operating budget, cash flow. Now you can use this project to get it to the point where it's cash flow positive and it's actually adding to the pile versus sucking from the pile. And that's how you want to finance your growth in a responsible way and, and grow. And you don't want to grow too fast because if you don't finance yourself properly, again, your pile's here, you feel good. You grow too fast, your pile goes to here, you feel bad. On paper, you're billing more than you've ever billed in your life, but this pile is gone. And this, is, this pile is where you live and breathe and die or live or survive for this pile. And so bringing the pile to the ground doesn't mean what doesn't matter what you're invoicing or how big your contracts are. Your whip is amazing. You should see all this work I've already built. If your pile's on the ground and you don't have access to keep this pile here, that's where you're going to feel like dog shit and you're going to be uncomfortable and you're not sleeping well at night. And you're under stress and you've grown from a four, five, six million, ten million dollar business and you're still working for the same paycheck. And by the way, you're more frustrated, your job's harder, your relationships are worse, you're not even able to take care of your employees. It's not, that's not any fun. 
Well, yeah, Matt, I just wanted to say to Scott really quick that, I mean, I can certainly appreciate that, uh, that scenario and how much that would stink. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, the, the part about growing financially or, you know, growing responsibly, Matt, what did Haiti say again? Um, use somebody else's <laughs> money to uh, grow your, I mean, that's, uh, you know, and again, I think, I think the word responsible is the key part here, right? Is, is, uh, you know, managing your cash flow to, you know, to, to this whole, this whole topic here that Scott's educating all of us about today, doing it responsibly for the sustained growth is the key. Yeah. You want to find a lender that can help you. Well, not only understand you, anybody can lend money, right? And they can protect themselves and get paid back. But if you can find somebody that can lend you the money, but also add value at the same time, maybe and maybe that value doesn't feel good to you. Maybe it's the constraints they put around. I'll give you a perfect example. When we when I first started, we borrowed money. I'd go to you two guys and say, "Hey, like, can I borrow some money? I'm going to make some. I'm going to make some loans. This is how it's going to work." Blah blah. Well, then you know, four years into the business, we got a bank line of credit, and the bank actually lets us lets us borrow money to make loans that they wouldn't make. Basically, <laughs> if you really want to know how it works, that's <laughs> really what they're doing. And then, um, but what what they did at the same time is they put constraints around what we can do, what we can't do, how we can do it. And it's basically was formatted on the things that we said we do, but they hold us accountable to that. And those things that they held us accountable to, you know, if I wanted to be ignorant, you might hear me say something like, no, banks pay me money, I signed, they should give me all the money and I'll do what I do and I'll pay them back, you know, that's it. But that's not how it really works. They said, I'll lend you the money under the terms that you said you do and how you do it, but we want to make, hold you accountable to that. So, you know, you got to turn these reports in every month or every week. You got to show us that you're doing what you say you're going to do. And you know what? Six years later, a lot of those things that they put in place for us made us a better business. It, it, it holds us accountable. It keeps us from doing something that we might otherwise do when we don't want to do it, you know? And so if you can find a lender that really cares about you, they're not just doing it to to benefit themselves, but they're actually adding value to you. They're giving you tools, they're giving you information, they're giving you access to knowledge or education or these loan companies. That's super valuable to, to help you, not only just money, but it's a real value. Mm -hmm. And then you can crush it. So if there's somebody out there that's maybe looking for the first time of having a service like yours or you know getting a line of credit or something like that, how's the like, what's how's the interest work? And is there, I guess there's an origination fee that goes along with it, plus a, you know, how's all that work? Just kind of what's yeah, it, maybe rounder numbers can generally. What's it going to cost them to do that? Yeah, the easiest way I like to explain it and the most simplistic is if you if if for someone if it's if we're a good fit for somebody, we're going to build that cash flow out. We 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 don't have any application fees or anything like that. We're going to build the cash flow out. They're going to know exactly what it looks like. Our underwriting is really done in two phases. We look at the business first. Where's the business sit? Like basically think about the pile. Are, is money in, money out? Are they doing a good job now? Are they okay? It doesn't, we don't care if they're financially profitable per se. We don't care how profitable or do they have all this money. We're not a bank. But what we do care about is are they just running a good business? Money, maybe it's just, maybe they're breaking even. Maybe they're working just enough that, you know, they can pay themselves and they're in that growth phase, right? And they might not just have been able to realize their profit yet. That's fine. And then what we do next is we look at the project that they want to execute on and we look at that specific project and the cash flow of it and can we help them all the things we just talked about today what's their margin when do they realize profitability how much do they need to invest of their costs and expenses and then we basically figure out on a weekly basis where that cash flow gaps are we just become a source of cash we become basically a pile 
for them to have access to to pay for expenses and project related expenses like labor material equipment on that job knowing that at some point they're going to invoice that and that money is going to come back into the pile and since we've already paid for a lot of these items that could just reimburse us and then the only thing someone needs their profit for or uh, is to just pay whatever interest and fees and so in a typical scenario if it's just it depends on the trade but let's just say it's a normal MEP trade structural site work it's gonna last a while you're gonna do multiple invoices on a monthly basis typically someone might need to borrow 20 25 percent of their contract value but they don't need 25 percent of their contract value on day one they might need that over the first 60 or 70 days on a weekly basis to make their payroll maybe every three weeks to pay for certain equipment rental or or material supply order that was ordered and so they just want to know that they have the pile available to them but they don't necessarily need to pay for the whole pile at once and then as they're paid we get paid back and that's how we build that project cash flow tool but it typically costs them somewhere between one and three percent of their project overall so if you know if someone has a 20 percent margin and they have good terms and they, you know, they don't, they're, they're paid in 30 days instead of 75, you know, and they have some terms with their supplier versus having to pay COD. Well, then it might cost them maybe one or 2% of their margin, you know, instead of a 20% margin, they might end up with an 18 and a half or 18% margin. If you have to pay everything COD and you get paid 60 day terms, well, then maybe it costs you three or 4% of your margin. You might end up with a 16% margin in that example instead of 20. So. That, but you know all that in advance in exactly, not only to the percentage, but to the dollar, because we build that out. We build that whole project cash flow tool out for you. And then the cool secret about our program is if the project, if we can't make the loan on it and it doesn't work, it's not a project you should probably do for yourself either, because if you just <laughs> do me too tight and it's not, it's not going to work, something needs to change. And oftentimes, what people come asking us for dollar wise, we all often are able to show them a way to reduce that loan amount significantly and where they're where they can go make those adjustments like go go negotiate with your supplier. Here's where you're, you know if you can get 30 day terms with your supplier instead of 15 or 45 days instead of 30 instead of needing $500,000 from us, you only need 200. You know, and then someone's like, yeah, no, by the way, no problem. Watch this. Bam, they go down to the supply house, they come back and like, I got 60 day terms with this supplier over here. And by the way, I got a better price. But now they, because they were armed with that information up front. So I hope that answers your question, but that's 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 what it costs. No, and you can grow with a couple percentage points of margin in a congruent manner so that your cash flow is steady. That's way easier to, to manage than trying to try to guesstimate what size loan you need for the next two or three year projection of what jobs you're going to have when they start. Sometimes that's easier if you're in a different business, but in construction, you can have jobs start and stop all different times. And you want to make sure that you're you're in line with that. You don't need this big loan that you're trying to service when you you're pro that you anticipated two projects starting. All of a sudden they don't start. Well, and I just want to speak up for the listeners to understand how how important and how how great that is what you're saying, Scott. Because um, typically, you work with with a, with a lender, with a bank, a financial institution. They're going to just ask you how much money do you need, and they're going to go put you through the loan process. They're not there to help you figure out 
what you might need and to help you connect the dots and look at that cash flow the way Scott's saying. So there's tremendous, tremendous value that I can't say highly enough about how, how, mu how much that is helpful on that financial side. So um, bravo to you guys. I was just going to say too, I mean, having a second set of eyes of somebody who's, I mean, Scott's, he's in the industry. He's not, he's not a contractor, but he sees enough contractors. He's, he's got enough war stories from talking to people that like, he can take a look at it and just, that's worth one or 2% right there. Just having another second, second, second eyes on your stuff. So. Yeah. And the other thing is you can really gain efficiencies too. Like when you have cash that, you know, you, you have up front, you can negotiate better pricing. Maybe you can take advantage of early pay discounts. Um, you can keep labor. We have some of our best um, customers. The reason they borrow from us isn't so much they need dollars, but they're actually, the way they've curbed the labor problem is they're able to pay their subcontract labor every week. And mm. so they have the best trade. They have the best labor. And they do it at, that. They do it through financing, but they're also able to gain efficiencies in the way they negotiate their contracts with their subcontract labor. Like, for example, one pays them every week, but they do it at a, five percent discount there so their their subs are pumped and happy to do it because they're paid every week instead of waiting for 30 days they do it at a five percent discount it's net neutral to them in fine in terms of the financing cost and everybody wins and i imagine if you ever need a favor the guy who's paying you every week you're going to bend over backwards for him oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they, oh, yeah. They, he's on his job every day exactly <laughs> yeah yeah we're inching up here on an hour scott is there anything else uh you think Anybody kind of entry level starting out, the next generation should know on the topic? I would say, you know, the things I talk about in this book, and um, you can you can get an e-copy of this book for a dollar on Amazon or somewhere if you don't want to buy the whole book, but just grasp onto it. If Our YouTube channel, I talk about, uh, this book is just a summary of everything I have already on our YouTube channel or our website. The project cash flow tool, um, the resources page on our website, all of these tools are there. They're 100% free. You can download them in Excel. You can complete them by just answering questions like it's on a bid, and then we send you this Excel file automatically. Use the tools. Um, make sure you play around with the, the, the projects and the cash flow. Take an old project that you've already completed that you know what actually happened on it. Put, go through and fill out the cash flow tool to see what it looked like prior to with information you already have and see what changes you would have made see how you would influence that and so you you know what you would that's a great way to figure that out if you're young in the game and you haven't figured that out you haven't done, gone through the experience but these are the ways that you can avoid mistakes that are very very costly that you don't need to learn on your own man for heaven's sake like if you can learn a mistake that someone else made without having to live it like that is like game changer because i can promise you all this stuff that flows off my tongue did not was not that way in the year one it was through tons of mistakes tons of lost money tons of projects that were bad that we should have never financed but that what i learned is they should have never done in the first place you know we just happened to jump on the boat that was a bad boat right and i'm mm -hmm. like well there's no reason to hold this project cash flow tool to ourselves. We might as well get this out there now because we don't. Nobody needs to be doing this to themselves or us. So that's how all this stuff came about. Um, you know, Matt and I talked earlier. I've only been out there on LinkedIn since January of 2020, and you know, early on. But mobilization funding's been around for 10 years now. We're in our 10th year, and so that's where all this has come from. Is just this experience of pain and mistakes and failures, a lot of which I talk about on our different channels too. So check them out. You, that's what I would do.
check out those information. And we have a, we have a lot, some of our clients and customers on there too, telling just super candid stories of the of the mistakes. That's where you learn. That's mm-hmm. the real truth. Hundred yeah. percent. Anything to add, Kyle? No, I, I just uh, it's been it's been great hearing from Scott, and I hope the hope the hope the listeners are really paying attention to uh, you know the value that he's talking about here. And and, and for anybody that's going to get into uh, project management or or jump into business ownership, um, really you you got to listen to what Scott's saying. It'll help you out huge. I've learned a lot my the hard way <laughs> in my time too. So yeah, I just add. I mean, get the book. It's a. It's only like ninety pages. It's an easy read. Um, there's a lot of pictures. I say I call them pictures. They're basically charts, right? Graphs, um, kind of walking you through it all. So, highly recommend that for anybody. So, Scott, how can we? You mentioned LinkedIn, but is that the best way to best place, best place to get in touch with you, or how can people reach you? Yeah, please. Two spots really connect with me on our LinkedIn, both our company page, Mobilization Funding, and Scott Peeper on LinkedIn, and then our YouTube channel. Go to our YouTube channel, YouTube Mobilization Funding, and subscribe there. We put out a lot of content. Anything we do ends up on our YouTube channel. Uh, We do lots of live webinars. That's where you can find us. That's the best place. But, yeah, Mobilization Funding on our YouTube channel, my personal LinkedIn, and then our company, Mobilization Funding LinkedIn. That's the best places to find us. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you joining us. This has been great. Yeah, thanks so much, Scott. You're very welcome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. Till next time. See you, everybody.